Hi, I'm Aubrey Charette. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Join us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. Hey, we're in the midst of a series today called Flip the Script. Flip the Script. And this series is not for everyone. In fact, this series, uh, if your life is going great, if you've never had a problem, if you've never had a day where you felt hopeless, if you've never questioned God or in the midst of difficulty or uncertainty, you've ever been tempted to doubt your faith, then this series is not for you. But if today, if you've ever been there, if you've ever been a place in your life, you or someone you know that is hurting, if you've ever had doubts about yourself or about God, if you've ever in a broken moment, in a moment of fear or pain, looked to God and questioned and wondered, what in the world are you doing? Then, man, this series is for you because this series focuses on the very real hurt in our lives and in the midst of it, the beauty and the mystery of a God who redeems. He redeems the brokenness in our life, the pain, the hurt, the, what we just sang. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. And so some of us in the room today are leaning in because this is, this is mysterious. Yet this is beautiful, the power of God to redeem the broken places in our life. So last week, if you weren't here, man, we missed you. And man, we're so glad you're here today, but I could not encourage you more to go back and listen because last week we talked about what it means for our God to redeem and to take defeat and turn it into victory. And there were people in the room last week that in faith, that they took a step of faith and God is helping them right now in their defeat. What looks like certain defeat in their life, God is helping them turn it into victory. Why? Because he's a God who flips the script. And today we're going to talk about this God that we serve, the Redeemer. The Redeemer, that, that word redeem literally means to buy back that The enemy has purposed that thing in your life for destruction, and God is buying it back. And so today we're going to talk about what it means for him to turn evil to good, from evil to good. So we're going to turn today to Genesis chapter 37. If you would, open your copy of Scripture and turn there with me today. If you have your YouVersion Bible app, we've already set an event up there as we do each and every week. It's got notes, bonus content. Um, the great things for you to, to turn and look to, so I could not encourage you more to do that if you're a version Bible reader. But uh, today we're going to be in um, Genesis 37, and we're going to talk about uh, a guy named Joseph. Now, not Joseph, the father of Jesus. He comes later. Hang on a few weeks. We'll get to him. But today in Genesis chapter 37, we're going to talk about the life of one man named Joseph. In, in order to try to summarize a lot of Scripture in the time that we have together, I just want to set the scene. We're going to begin in verse 12, but what you need to know is Joseph's father, Jacob, is very important in scripture. Often you hear uh, when, when they, the Jews referred to the father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is one of the forefathers of the nation of Israel, and he's important because he's going to have 12 sons, and that's not just like cool trivia, like, oh, that was a busy, you know, busy home, 12 kids. No, no, because they became the 12 tribes of Israel, which is really important as you read throughout the Old Testament. And today we're going to meet uh, all the brothers, really, but Joseph in particular. And Joseph is important 
Because Jacob, if you look back uh, to Genesis chapter 29 and 30, uh, Jacob has two wives. He was tricked into marrying Leah. He didn't want to marry Leah. He wanted to marry Rachel. But the father knew that maybe he had a better chance of tricking him into marrying. That's a whole other story. But he tricks him into marrying Leah. And, and then Jacob loves Rachel so much he works seven more years to earn her hand in marriage. So now he, he's got all these sons. And all the, the first sons are not from Rachel but from Leah. And so he's got uh, many sons, and Leah wants Jacob to love her, and so she thinks by giving him sons, giving him children, which is very important in that culture, the birth of a son to carry on the name, but it is Rachel that he loves the most. And so Joseph is important because he is the firstborn of Rachel, the wife that Jacob truly loves, the wife that Jacob truly worked plus seven years to earn her hand in marriage. And so what we're going to see here is that Joseph is a dreamer, and because of that, his dreams get him in trouble. Uh, that he, if you read uh, in, in the beginning of Genesis 37, that God gives Joseph dreams and he just kind of tells everybody these dreams and they're not always met with a lot of excitement because of their interpretation. But it's clear that Joseph is the favorite. Now, parents, I know that you all have a favorite, but you can't let them know that they're the favorite, right? It's a joke. Come on, people, right? Okay, so of course we don't do that. But Jacob has the favorite and the reason you know is because Joseph is given a coat of an ornate robe. Some would say a coat of many colors. And so uh, many have, have questioned why that was. Some believe it's because Jacob saw Joseph as his true heir, the firstborn of Rachel. Uh, but for whatever reason, the brothers do not like Joseph. They're jealous of him, and in fact, they really hate him. And so we're going to pick up reading now in Genesis 37, starting with verse 12, where the story really begins uh, to take form. So follow along with me, verse 12 of Genesis 37. It says, Now... His brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. In Israel, it's another word for Jacob, Israel uh, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them very well, Joseph replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent them off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Well, they've moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went on uh, after his brothers and found them near Dothan. This would have been several days' journey it took Joseph to get there. But they saw him in the distance. And before Joseph reached them, the brothers plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him, and let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, Reuben heard of this. He, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw them into this cistern here in the wilderness and don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, as they sat down to eat their meal. Now pause for a second. Here, I just, I, I, this catches me, you know. Uh, so they hate their brother. They throw Joseph into a cistern. They leave him for dead. What's the next thing they do? It's not while they're lost in thought, while they're anguishing over what they've just done, they sit down to eat taquitos, you know? They're ready for lunch. We just, we just threw our brother 
eternal, like, oh, hate him, he's gone, what are you going to do? Well, I'm kind of hungry, let's sit and eat, right? I, that just blows my mind, but that's what they did. All right, Joseph's gone, let's eat. So they sat down to eat their meal, and they look up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. This is the compassionate response. Let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. Verse 28, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 shekels, 200 bucks of silver to the Ishmaelites and they took him to Egypt. $200 split 11 ways. That's not a lot of money. And yet this is what happens. I wonder what it felt like to Joseph being let in that moment as he came to check on his brothers. He's thrown into a cistern. He's sold off into slavery. And I wonder as he looks back over the horizon at his brothers, as he's being taken, sold as a slave into a foreign land, I wonder what Joseph was thinking what would you be thinking seems hopeless no good can come out of this what was true in that moment if we were to pause the story and again many of you in the room are familiar with Joseph's story many of you and we're going to go all the way through uh, Genesis 50 in a minute several lot of chapters of good stuff here worth reading but if you don't know what's about to happen and you hit pause in this story what is true in this moment the people that should have loved Joseph didn't, right? And no matter what sins you hold against Joseph, no matter, you can say, well, he was, he was pretty naive. He was talking all about these dreams. He had it coming for him. In that moment, the punishment did not fit the crime. Everything about Joseph's future is uncertain. In fact, he has lost everything except his life. Everything is lost. You ever been there? You ever been there in your life? If you just hit pause on the story and you think about how Joseph was feeling in that moment, you feel how, what his reality was in that moment, have you ever been there? Where it just feels like evil is winning. This is hopeless. I don't see how any good can come of this. Look, look at what's happened to me. I don't deserve this. You ever been there? I brought my handy trusty mirror here several series ago. I use this and I find it to be really helpful sometimes as a means of just talking a little bit about my experience in my life. And so for just a minute, um, I know some of you can't see when I pull this out, so I'll turn it back around in a minute. I want to talk to you a little bit about my story. And some of you have heard it uh, many times, and I'm not telling you this today to do anything other than to just, in my mind, I'm trying to think about what it was to be Joseph in that moment, what it was to reflect in that moment of the pain and the hurt. And so a couple things that I, I'm going to write down for you today that reflect um, where I was in my journey, what it means to be afraid, what it means to feel alone. I, I've been there. In fact, I, I know I've, I've shared this uh, before, but one of the big parts of my story is growing up in a, a Christian home and my mom uh, suffered from severe depression when I was in middle school and to the point where she didn't really want to be alive anymore. And that's really confusing. It's really confusing for a 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy that a mom who's loved you and knows Jesus and loves Jesus, so 
suddenly doesn't want to be alive anymore. And many, many, many years, even up through my college years, uh, my mom was not, uh, not really stable. She couldn't keep a job. I couldn't really depend on her for the love and care of a mom. And in those moments, throughout my teenage years and young adult years, it was very easy. As many nights I would cry myself to sleep, many nights I would look up and say, God, what have I done? To, what has my mom done? What has my dad done? What has our family done to deserve this? In those moments, I felt afraid. I felt alone. I felt lost. I felt like there was no hope in this situation, that this suffering and this pain and this brokenness would be my reality forever. Fast forward many years, and again, I know I'm, I'm, I'm sharing things that I've shared with you before, but reflecting on some other things that as I, I grew up, and, and again, I was following the Lord, and I was, I was in obedience, I, I believed, to the things he wanted uh, me to do, and I was trying to follow after his desires for my life, and these are some other words that I would use to define uh, my journey and, and, and the things I was experiencing. Because uh, I grew up, and as a pastor, the Lord had, had called Lauren and I to, to adoption. I've shared the story many times, and at the risk of repeating it for some that have heard it, uh, basically we began to obey and to step out in faith to adopt a child. We felt like that's what God was calling us to do. And not once, but twice, over years and years and years of people praying and, and supporting and us journeying, not once but twice, we experienced two losses in the midst of our adoption journey. And I have no idea what it is for some of you in this room that have lost uh, your biological child. I have no idea what that would be like. I have no idea what it's like to journey through that. But this journey and this struggle led me to a place where I felt broken, I felt broken because we had stepped out in faith and we had obeyed God and we had done everything that we were supposed to do and yet tragedy struck and yet we left feeling broken and alone. And so I wrote this word broken. I wrote this word angry because if I was being honest in that moment, my prayers toward God were not, God, I love you. God, I it was angry. God, where are you? God, what is this about? God, God. God, you say you're good, and you say you love me, but, but all I'm seeing right now is hurt. All I'm seeing, what, what am I being punished for? And in that moment of brokenness, in those moments of disappointment and loss and grief and heartache, this is how I was feeling. Feeling afraid, alone, lost, broken, angry. I don't share those things with you today to compare my grief to your grief. I don't, you know, some of you I know, your loss and the hurt and the heartache, you've got four mirrors worth of stuff and that's not what it's about, but I simply show this to you today to put myself in the place where Joseph was in that moment where it felt like, what good can come of this? It felt like evil is winning, darkness is winning, and that is the moments in my life where I felt that. How about you? Have you been there? Have you been at that place where you felt alone and angry and afraid? Maybe you believed in God. Maybe you were trusting in him. Maybe you had faith, and, and in that moment, you just felt alone. Turn with me now to Genesis 50. We're going to continue in the story. We're going to continue to see what we call in this series the flipping point. The flipping point. This is the moment in the story where everything 
changes, where uh, what was purpose for destruction becomes redeemed by God. And so we're going to turn to Genesis 50, and while you're turning there, while you're turning there, I want you to understand a little bit of what's happening. Now, I'm going to attempt to summarize 13 chapters of Scripture for you, so I would highly recommend this week that you would take some of your own time to study and to read. But basically, Joseph, the interesting thing about his life is it's, it's really a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster of redemption that, that if you can picture him being sold into slavery as kind of this low point, well, well, he is in the house of Potiphar, and he's a slave there, but in the act of redemption, that God blesses his life. And God um, gives him authority. And so Potiphar entrusts him. Even in the midst of slavery, uh, Potiphar gives him authority. And so you can kind of see it kind of go like this. But then Joseph, uh, the, the wife of his master, tries to hit on him. Says, oh, come to bed with me. I want you as my own. And Joseph is a man of God. And so he refuses. And so then what happens? She makes up a lie against him. And if you can picture kind of the roller coaster moment where it looked like Joseph's life was turning this way, suddenly now he's thrown into jail. And so it goes back down. But in the jail, in the prison, God begins to redeem. And so the story goes like this, that Joseph, even in prison, he is given authority, that God, uh, God blesses his life. And so he's entrusted to the care of everyone in the prison. Joseph is kind of the second in command in jail. And, and so he's given authority and God blesses his life and uses his life. And through his interpretation of dreams, he's able to help two different people and impact the um, nation of Egypt. And so again, it looks like and time and time again, it's, but ultimately, ultimately, through an act of redemption, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And God uses Joseph. God uses Joseph in that moment to speak truth to Pharaoh, to forecast a coming famine that would impact not just the nation of Egypt, but the entire region. And so Joseph is now put in charge, not just of a jail, not just in a house where he's a slave. He is now second in command of all of Egypt for the specific purpose of helping them prepare for a famine. Well, the famine comes. And the famine's not just in Egypt, but now in the land of Canaan, where there's 11 brothers. There used to be 12. 11 brothers who sold their brother into slavery. And so now many years later, while Joseph is an afterthought, they're hungry and they need food. So they've heard there's food in Egypt and so their father sends them down to Egypt to get food. And so Joseph is reunited with his brothers. And six different times in the book of Genesis, we hear an account of Joseph weeping, <laughs> weeping as he's reunited with his brothers, weeping on behalf of the pain, weeping when, when these moments are, come back in his mind of how angry and how alone and how this is not easy, but Joseph chooses to be reconciled to his brothers. And in Genesis 50, we see now that his father has passed away, his brothers and all their family have relocated to Egypt, but now that their father has passed, the brothers worry again, maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the moment that Joseph will choose to get revenge on us. They can never forget what they've done to him, and they can never believe that they are truly forgiven. And so we're, I'm summarizing a lot of scripture, a lot of story, to get us now to Genesis chapter 50. Would you read now, starting in verse 15, Genesis chapter 50, it says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong that we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is a lie, right? They're making this up. 
to try to convince Joseph not to be angry. Your father sent word. This is what you're to say to Joseph. Ask him to forgive your brothers of the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. And when the message came to him, Joseph wept again. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. And I've read everything that I've read to you to get you to this moment in this verse. So do not miss it. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I'm going to read that again. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And for generations... Not just Joseph, not just his brothers, but their children's children lived peacefully together in Egypt. The brothers are doubting Joseph's love. They're believing there's no way with all that we've done to him that he can truly forgive us. In Joseph in verse 19 and 20, look at what it says in the New King James Version. This is so good. It says this, it says, Joseph said, don't be afraid for am I in the place, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good look at it right there in Genesis 37 where we read right there in the flipping point right right there in the moment where the brothers meant it for evil they meant it for his destruction they meant it to be done with him forever but in that moment while they were intending it for evil God at the same moment was working it for good now that is beautiful, but it's hard, it's hard to imagine. Wait, wait, wait. You mean that didn't catch God off? That didn't surprise him? God wasn't having to fumble his plans and say, oh, wait, 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 this is crazy. What am I going to do now? No, no, no. In that moment, as they were attempting to destroy his life, God had intentions just as they did. They intended it for evil, but God, right there in that moment, said, no, 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 no. I'm intending this for your good. Not just your good, but thousands, generations are going to be saved because of this moment. It's redemption. It's, it's redemption. You see what happens for us in the moment, in that moment of pain, in that moment of suffering, in that moment where it feels like darkness is winning. The question that we often ask, and I understand it, is the why question. God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? God, why? Why would you be okay with allowing me to walk through? And some of you, as you're sitting there now, my heart breaks for you as you kind of remember and even relive some of those painful moments in your life and, and you, that your question of why is right there in the front of your mind. I understand that question. In fact, in fact, if we look at scripture in Psalm 22, David understood that question. He literally says, God, why have you forgotten me? Why are you so far from saving me? Jesus himself, Jesus himself was on the cross. And in Matthew's gospel, what is the words that Jesus himself says to the Father God while he's on the cross? He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we don't have to hide from the why question. We don't have to feel like that's an unspiritual question. We don't have to feel like that God can't handle that question because he can. Jesus himself asked it. The problem, though, with the why question is there are times in life where we will not know. There are things on my mirror today, I cannot tell you why. In the moment, I certainly couldn't, and even now, I don't have 
100% clarity on why that happened. And so the problem for some of us is we live our life asking the why question. There's been a lot of damage done by people trying to answer that why question when they don't really have the answer, when they don't really know. And so today, uh, I want to challenge you not to stuff it, not to pretend like that doesn't matter, but instead I want to encourage you in faith. If we believe in the God who can flip the script, I want to challenge you to move from the why question to a much different question. In fact, I wrote it this way, the bottom line for us. The bottom line for us is that hope, redemption, hope grows not because we understand the why, but because we trust the who. Uh, listen to what I'm saying here. This is so good. This is so important. That the hope in that moment of brokenness, the redemption that is possible because of the love of God poured out on us, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that redemption is possible not because we understand the why, but because we learn to trust the who. The why for us is about clarity. And I understand wanting clarity. Man, do I need that every day in my life, every decision that I, I want to have clarity behind it. I want to know when I do this, what is going to happen about this? God, you want me to do this? Well, what about this? I want clarity about everything in my life. But the problem is we don't always get clarity. We don't always fully understand. Maybe you will one day. Some of us in this room can stand up and say, man, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. But in the moment, we see clarity. And often, Clarity is the enemy to trust. Clarity is the thing that we're desperately holding on to, and it's keeping us from trusting God. And today, I want to encourage you not to stuff the why question, not to brush it aside down. Uh, what's true today about our God is that he is good, that he loves you, that he is your help, your fortress, your hiding place, your front and rear guard, that he, he parts the sea. He moves the mountain. He holds the universe in his hand. He raises the dead. He heals, he restores, and he redeems. That is what is true today about the who in your life. When you don't have clarity, when you can't see it, you can trust. You can trust that this is true about my God, that even in brokenness, even in brokenness that there are people around me who love me and are walking with me, even in brokenness that there are still glimpses of God's goodness and mercy. Even in my brokenness, God is giving me strength one moment, one day at a time. Even in my brokenness, God is using my pain to minister to others. Why? It's because who God is and he is in control. I want to challenge you as we close this morning with a prayer. It's a prayer of redemption. It's a prayer that doesn't focus so much on the why, but on the who. In the midst of brokenness, in the midst of when it seems like darkness is winning. This is a prayer of trust. It's not my prayer. It's in Psalm 56, uh, verse 3. The psalmist really says this. He says, even though I am afraid, yet I will trust you, Lord. Even though I don't have clarity, oh, yet I will trust you, Lord. Even though I can't understand why in this moment it appears like evil is winning, yet I will trust you, Lord, even when, even though they walked out on me and abandoned me, yet I will trust in you, Lord. Even though I raised my kids to know better and they're making scary decisions right now, yet I will trust you, my God. Even though, even though we've prayed for their healing and they're getting worse, I will trust you, Lord. Even though my financial need is great and I don't see how we will make it, yet I will trust you, Lord, even though my future seems uncertain and I don't know what tomorrow holds yet 
I will trust you, Lord, even though I don't like it, even though I don't understand it. Yet, I will trust you, Lord. Hope grows. The seeds of hope, they grow not from understanding the why, not from gaining perfect clarity, but the seeds of hope. They grow in the soil of trust. They grow in the soil of trusting God. Even when I look all around me and I've got no clarity and I can't understand, yet I will trust you, Lord. That's a prayer of redemption. That's a prayer where he begins to flip the script in your life. That's a prayer that God can answer. Why? Because it's a prayer offered in faith, rooted in trust and knowing who he is. And this morning, I want to invite you to just bow your heads with me for a minute. Could I pray for you today? <laughs> Could I pray today that today you get the opportunity to trust God? Could I pray today that you have the opportunity <laughs> to flip the script that today some of you walked in here and you feel like Joseph, you feel like evil is winning. You feel like there is no hope for you. Some of you, you go back there in your mind because you remember what it was like crying yourself to sleep. Begging the Lord for clarity. Today I want to invite you. I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Even though, yet I will trust you. Even though you fill in the blank. Even though whatever it is in your life today. Even though, yet I will trust you. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer that takes courage, man. That takes guts. But today if that's you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. So if that's you in this moment right now, would you just stand to your feet? Would you have the courage to say, I want to pray that. I want to stand today. I want to stand in faith today in trust. I don't have clarity. I don't see it all. But today I am trusting the who. The who is in control. Even though, even though, whatever that is in your life, yet I will trust you, Lord. And if you want to pray that prayer along with me right now, would you just stand to your feet? You don't have to come forward. Not going to pass you a microphone. It's an opportunity just to stand to your feet today and to say, yeah, Lord, I'm trusting you. I can't see it yet. I don't have clarity. I don't understand. But yes, I trust you. Yet I trust you. Jesus, today, around this room, some of us today, we're standing. We're not standing on our circumstances. We're not standing in our knowledge. We're not standing on the clarity that we, we don't have that today. But we're standing in trust of a God that is good. We're standing today on the confidence of a God who can make everything for our good. He can turn every situation, every broken dream, every failure, Lord, and in the soil of trust, Lord, you can grow hope even in the midst of that. So some of us today, we're standing. Encourage, encourage. We don't stand alone, God. Your spirit is here and walking with us. And today I believe in faith. You want to flip the script. You want to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for our good. And so today we stand not in our own strength, not believing that we've got to work harder to do this. No, we just stand today and we trust you, God. Even though, yet I will trust you. We thank you and we love you. Church, would you stand to your feet now? Would you stand to your feet? God is good and he's here. We serve a God who can redeem. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. 
We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. We're at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.